The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 170 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Bonello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in this show are my own and that data of my present or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Well, folks, we had another great episode for you last week. We had Chief Security Architect Rich Wickersham rejoined me on episode number 190. 169 to provide insights on making the move to the cloud securely. We talked about the importance of threat modeling and the importance of architecture patterns to understand what's normal to help baseline what we need to do to detect threats. Rich also discusses how misconfigurations are the greatest threats of the cloud, as well as providing his perspective on the solar winds breach and supply chain risk. All this and much, much more in episode number 169 of Task Force 7 Radio. Don't sweat it if you miss it, folks. You can find us everywhere on Playback. That's securely making the move to the cloud on last week's episode. That's episode number 169 of Task Force 7 Radio. So we have another return guest for you tonight, President and CEO of SSIC. John Frazzini has come back to join me on the show. I'm really excited to have John back on. John brings more than 20 years of experience as a security innovator to his role as president and CEO of SSIC as a dynamic technology entrepreneur and executive leader that successfully drives new technology and advanced services concept into cyber risk and security markets. John combines his rich and varied security expertise, including cybercrime investigations, cyber threat intelligence, artificial intelligence-based security applications, cyber attack simulation technology, and with his entrepreneurial drive to bring forward new concepts that address today's ever-changing cyber challenges. Prior to embarking on his entrepreneurial journey, John served as a U.S. Secret Service agent, as an investigator for the U.S. Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs. John focused on emerging internet-based crime, systemic government program fraud, and criminal exploitation of technology. It's my pleasure to introduce President and CEO of SSIC, John Frazzini. John, welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, buddy. Yeah, it's great to be here, Andy. Absolutely. Dude, you've been a you know a serial entrepreneur, and uh, you've been in you know you've been in the Secret Service. You've you know you've led teams. You've been you know on teams, and you're, you know you're you're driving a successful entrepreneurial career. I'd love to get your strategy on how you are leading and get inspiring, getting the most out of people. Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic question. You know, it seems like a complicated one, but in my experience, it really isn't. It's, it's just about, you know, looking at the talents and abilities that each individual has and providing a platform for people to do great things. You know, I'm a, I'm a big believer that true leadership comes by empowering other people to achieve, you know, the things that they want to achieve. It's not tasking them with things that, that are meaningless to, to their development, right? So if you identify people in and around you, then you want to push them to the next level, create new boundaries, so to speak. I, I really think it's about leaning into what inspires them to, to perform and, 
and and do great things themselves. And I and I think that's that's really what the recipe is. I, I don't think it's that complicated. I think as a leader, your job is to identify people's strengths and talents and ambitions and giving them a platform to, to go do great things. And that's what it comes down to for me. Well, it's certainly been working. I, I you know, I, I find it interesting how I feel like a lot of leaders can't let go um, and give, you know, their people that rope, if you will, to just go out there and do what they need to do. What, what, what is it that, you know, about you, that you feel like makes you confident enough to kind of say, look, I'm going to let my people just go do what they do and trust it as opposed to feel like you need to micromanage that process. Well, I, I think it gets back to the, the first question, which is, you know, what does it, what does it mean to be part of a team? And, you know, I've been in a wide variety of different team environments where I was a teammate or a team leader, you know, where, you know, actually my, my past professional life led that, that environment to be kind of a daily thing, right. Where you had to step in and out of taking the reins and leading one day and then in playing your role as a teammate the next day. So you really had to ebb and flow into your day to day, how you were going to be productive as, as part of a team. So I think, I think the first thing you have to do is just accept the fact that regardless of who you are, including if you're the leader or the boss or the supervisor, you really are nothing more than just a member of a team, right? And if you put yourself into that mindset, you say to yourself, um, where, where, do I want, where do I want to go as part of this team? And if, if you really break it down, everybody's trying to go to the same place if you get it right, which is we'd like to have produce successful outcomes related to what we're working on together. So for me, you know, it's, it's as simple as, you know, creating an awareness that regardless of who you are and what you're doing in, in your, in your professional engagement with other people, you really are nothing more than just another teammate, regardless of what your title is. I love it, man. So, so the environment you've created over at SSIC is really, you know, bringing some really cool stuff to the cybersecurity industry that I don't know is getting, you know, it hasn't really hit the forefront yet, but it is in the, you know, on the cusp of really busting open, I think, um, you know, when you get in, you starting to see, you know, cyber risk analytics, cyber risk quantification really start to get a lot more attention. Uh, but you guys have been, you know, way ahead of it. Uh, so what, what's the latest going on in, in the cyber risk, you know, quantification space? Well, you know, I think it all starts with just identifying where there's gaps um, in the marketplace and there's, and there's clear consensus. Oftentimes, if you take a look at any aspect of what you do on a daily basis, you kind of, you can kind of determine like if you're a, a consumer or a customer in your personal life or you're, you're functioning in your professional co- capacity, oftentimes we all step back sometimes and I, and we can all identify and diagnose what's not working. Right. And uh, there has to be a better way. Things aren't working, whatever that happens to be, you know? Um, And so I think, you know, the first thing that happens is, you know, there's certain, there's a collective aha moment that takes place to say the current status quo of whatever it happens to be um, in the case of cybersecurity, there's a lot of that, right. There's a lot of status quo, quo realization that things just aren't, don't seem to be working. There's a lot of great people doing great things, but when everybody sits around the room, they start scratching their heads and they say, we've been spending a lot of time, energy, and resources on stuff, but it doesn't seem like we're getting anywhere. Why is that? And so 
I think the first thing that you have to do is just identify and acknowledge that a lot of people share in those truths related to the to the stubbornness of the status quo. And I think that's the first place you have to start. You have to say, you know what? Everybody kind of knows this isn't working. So then the next question becomes, what should we do about it? Yeah, and in, in the cyber risk space, right? I mean, it's been, there really hasn't been an adoptance of a universal language for us to talk about the maturity of cybersecurity programs. I mean, you've got NIST, CSF, but that really kind of stops like with practitioners. I mean, you know, I really think the shift here is around how we communicate to the boardroom. So what, what's the latest going on? I know you're involved in some industry groups around um, looking at bridging the gap between the CISO and um, the boardroom. What's the latest there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a great example of what we just talked about, which is I think there's a collective realization, especially from the business community, that the cyber challenge isn't isn't being addressed in a way that they understand. You know, it doesn't mean that a lot of great things aren't happening. It just means they don't, there, nobody seems to be able to put their finger on it. You know, I oftentimes, you know, reference a couple of years ago, the trade organization known as the NACD, the National Association of Corporate Directors, which is basically a trade association for um, members of boards of directors. They have over 20,000 members. And so these are the people that, you know, um, assemble and discuss issues associated with effective board oversight on various topics, a wide variety of topics. A subset of that is, is cyber risk, right? And I think one of the first surveys they did of their members presented something to the effect of, I forget if it was 13 or 17% of board members feel like they, there's effective communication taking place related to the topic of cyber risk. Risk, right? So it doesn't necessarily mean good things aren't happening. It just means just there seems to be a gap in communication. So you have you have business leaders within the board environment or in the executive suites who may not be security experts and may not fundamentally follow the what's taking place in the area of cyber risk, but they're just trying to figure out a way to incorporate that understanding into what they do. And I think that's been elusive. Uh, and, and then, so now you're seeing several organizations try to fill the gap there and say, okay, well, how do we, how, how can we better create a platform for that communication to be effective? And, um, and that's what I'm seeing taking place right now. Yeah, man, I can't wait to dive into this, man. We're going to take a quick break. All right, folks, we got to transition to a commercial break here. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram at searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on our social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7. That's with the number seven, folks, radio.com. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, then we'll be right back with President and CEO of SSIC, John Frazzini. So whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., 
Cynet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Cynet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Cynet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Cynet, S-I-N-E-T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with President and CEO of SSIC, John Frazzini. So, John, I've been, you know, reading a lot on cyber risk quantification, and, and I'm starting to see, you know, a little bit more me- momentum on in the analyst community around trying to make this like a thing, right? Like, it's a constant problem that we're all been trying to solve for, Um but what, I'm starting to see the analyst community pick up a little, get a little more attention on it. Like, what, what's your involvement? What What do you see in there? No, I see the same thing. Absolutely, I think there's a couple things happening in the analyst community that I observe as well. Um, and it starts with the recognition of some of the things we talked about earlier, which is the status quo is is becoming understood. And I think the the um, analyst community is are doing a couple different things. For example, you know, there used to be coverage on, you know, GRC programs, right, as kind of like where cyber risk was at within the within industry. Uh, those are moving into, you know, IRM or integrated risk management type discussion points. Um, you, you're seeing coverage related to how to move beyond, you know, red, yellow, green, you know, heat map type ways of understanding, you know, cyber risk. And so I think the analyst community is recognizing the status quo not working and they're, they're seeking to communicate where the future resides in terms of um, the evolution on this topic. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting, right? Because I feel like I, I'm still not sure why we haven't solved this problem. Like I, every vendor I talk to has a letter grade on the outputs of their tools, or there's a score from like one to a hundred. And man, there's so many smart people in this industry. I just can't figure out why we haven't been able to solve for this because at the end of the day, like I, you know, as a practitioner still have to translate the outputs of everybody's score to make it actually meaningful. Like what is your, you know, my grade of an A for one tool different than the, my A on another tool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, like, I, yeah, we got to get better at this. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I think this is this is part of the confusion that exists in in the business community, which is you have a lot of cybersecurity uh, um, discussion points that are trying to say just at my letter score, just take the outputs of my technology and present it to the board or and you have literally dozens of different companies who are, who are simply just saying, just use our stuff and everything will be better. And yet everybody knows that that's just not the case. I think it really comes down to this for me. It's creating a common communication com- communication mechanism to these highly technical things. For us, it's about applying financial analytics to convert the technical information that exists or the telemetry that exists within the security community using financial analytics to convert that into an economic analysis profile, right? So as soon as you can convert the highly technical to the economic using financial analytics techniques, right, then you have the ability to start having a conversation that everybody can understand. And why is that? Well, everybody understands dollars and cents. Everyone can understand you know, how to go from a highly technical conversation to break it down into um, a financial number. Then you can start having the same conversation about, okay, I get that there's technical things happening, but this is what it actually means to, to our business. And I think it's really foundational to the change that I'm seeing, which is there's definitely a, a, a shift taking place where organizations are seeking to, to use financial information to manage cyber risk, you know, in a way that, you know, if you really think about it, Andy, all of the risks to business are contemplated. You think about the insurance industry and how it provides management, risk management backdrop. That's all financially, you know, resolved, right? right. The, the, the insurance industry, you know, conducts its business explicitly through economics, right? That's, that's the industry. So what you're seeing is, you know, and this is how business manages risks in other areas and other risk categories to the business. What you're starting to see is that start to become more of the common way of thinking about cyber risk. And that's a substantial change from what has taken place just, just a year or a few years ago. And so that's, that's something that I'm looking at as, a, as, the, as the future of where all this goes. Yeah. I mean, I've got to believe, you know, that board of directors, board members around the world are, are still constantly going, why are we talking about vulnerabilities? Like, when's this going to happen? Like, I, I'm expecting there to be some pressure at some point from the top down. It says, okay, enough's enough. Like, let's go figure this out and start to put pressure on CISOs and practitioners to really become business relevant. And, and, and look, there's some CISOs out there that do a really good job, right? Like let's not, you know, bash the whole CISO community here on this. Like there's some that do a really good job here, but at the end of the day, as a, as an industry, as a whole, like we haven't come together to really make it easier for business leaders to fully understand what we do. Right. And I, I got to believe there's going to be some pressure at some point, especially I think in the wake of solar winds, you know, because they're starting to recognize that the adversaries that we talk about do exist and they now have an example to point to, to understand what that actually is. And they're going to need some way to fully understand how to, how to say enough's enough in terms of our investment and how much more should we be doing? Um, And without being able to answer those two questions or have a way to help them answer those two questions, I think they're going to be in a hard position to, to defend 
that they are managing cyber risk for their company. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there's something interesting taking place just over the last, I don't know, one to two years. It used to be a couple of years ago, if you were to talk to a CISO, the concept of converting their programs into, um, into business intelligence you know, was elusive, you know, people, CISOs would routinely communicate the technical effectiveness of what they were doing. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when you really think about it, what, what question then started to become top of, on the top of the list? And, I, and I, I've heard this dozens of times. Okay, that's great. The technical inf- information you're presenting is, looks great. Looks like we're doing the best we can related to that technical function. Then the question is, well, what does that mean to our business, right? This is this is the this is the the quantum leap that's required, which is you you can be proficient in your technical implementation of security. Let's say you are, you don't have the effective ability to communicate it. So the question becomes, from the place of confusion, like, okay, that all sounds good, but what does this mean to us? I have had. You know, countless board members, business executives basically point to that confusion and say, it looks like it, we, we invest in this security program and these people, and I'm, I'm assuming they're doing good work because that's what we expect of them, but we're really not sure what it means to our business. And I, I, I'm getting routinely questions from CISOs more and more about this, where they're saying, hey, look, you know, my, my executive team or my board's asking me, like, what is the ROI of what I do? Or what is all of this things I see in the media have to do with our business? And having the ability to communicate that for me through economic terms is, is how you answer the question. And that's where I see things going. And there's absolutely an emergence of, of that conversation being much more pronounced in the marketplace. I see it every day. And you're also seeing from a regulatory perspective, you point to like something has to change. Well, in 2018, the SEC put out interpretive guidance to public companies basically calling for, you know, uh, the, the financial analysis of risk, cyber risk, and, and are basically communicating that to, to the public. And so you're starting to see some elements of that change starting to manifest itself through regulatory action. Now, do you anticipate there being you know, some additional guidance. Like, I, I look, I, I know we say it, the SEC comes out and says it, right? And, and that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and some companies are probably taking completely different approaches to solving that. Um, but I know like, you know, when you start getting down the concept of like, you know, introducing Monte Carlo simulation and like the FAIR model, um, you know, some of this stuff is like expensive to do, requires a lot of developers, you know, I think at some point becomes prohibitive for folks to try to figure out how to solve for this. Like, are, are, you know, how are you guys solving, you know, that complexity to help make this a little easier to consume? Yeah, no, I, I, I think so. His, over the last several years, there's been all sorts of exploratory efforts to use different types of techniques to try to solve for this. Right. And, and I think what I've always looked towards is the, how the insurance, industry was functioning. Because if you take a look at all other aspects of risk that affect us in our lives, our daily lives, whether it's auto, your personal auto insurance policy or your home policy or health insurance, you know, all, all of that is, is, 
is presented to you, you know, whether you see it or not, like when you get your pricing on your auto insurance policy, the insurance company has taken a financial bet that they're expecting to lose a certain amount of money from having you drive a car, right? And, and so those are some basic things that happen in business. And that happens within the insurance industry. We're going to see the underwriting of the cyber risk within the industry starting to bring forward a lot of interesting information and the backdrop to where this is going. So there was a, there's been a lot of theoretical efforts based on a lot of guesswork and academic concepts historically. I think, I think the industry is moving away from that and they're moving into more of these validated underwriting mechanisms to understand cyber risk from an insurance industry perspective. And those underwriting um, principles that come out of there are, I think are gonna set the stage for the future. Just, just like what happens in all areas of risk that business experiences. And this goes all the way back to the early days of the insurance industry where maritime commerce was considered too risky to invest in. So in the insurance industry was created to provide that financial backdrop underwriting standards, you know, led to um, safer shipping vessels, right, which led to safer commerce. And if you extrapolate that all the way to today in the cyber discussion, you're seeing a lot of the same things. And so, you know, I really point people to take a look at what the insurance industry is doing, you know, from a security industry perspective, I think there's a there's there's doesn't seem to be a significant awareness that a lot of innovation is taking place there. And for me, that's where the in, in some of the concepts that you described earlier, have already been, you know, you know, rejected by that industry, right? So the academic pursuit of understanding financial exposure to risk is, as in my opinion, has seen its day. And now you're starting to see significantly different types of financial analytics coming out of places that like the insurance industry, which I think is moving the needle on this topic. Yeah. So, so man, I would love to get your take on this because like, like when I was in the secret service and working with DHS and even after I left, I mean, there was a lot of work being done around, you know, the intelligence sharing within cyber as it related to insurance. And, and, and there was also a lot of work around the government really wanting to have visibility into the systemic cyber risk and having a way to have something quantify it. Like, is there, has that conversation picked back up at all or where are we with that? Yeah, it absolutely has. What's actually kind of interesting here, believe it or not, is that is the government, it's actually, you know, front and center in this discussion. I mean, there's, there's most recently a pub publicly released blog by DHS is cybersecurity group known as CISA, where they're pointing to some of the things that you're referencing there. There is a gathering understanding within the government from a national security perspective, um, I happen to be part of some of the initiatives related to it, but they are recognizing some of the concepts of what we're discussing, which is how do you use uh, financial analytics or economic uh, analysis to understand cyber risk from a financial perspective? How do you understand it then from a systemic perspective? And most importantly, what action can be taken to reduce that exposure, right? That's really where it all comes down to at the end of the day. So I think historically there's been an effort to, to, to simply quantify something almost for no purpose. Like what's the point of, of just quantifying something? You don't need to get out a calculator to, to add up 
that cyber risk presents a significant financial um, exposure in the business community. You you don't need to do that, but that's what historically where things have been. And you're seeing much more sophisticated application of the analytics approaches, even within the government to start saying, we're not just trying to frame the problem, get out a calculator and add it all up. We're trying to create a, a mechanism to effectively manage and suppress technical things that can happen that result in financial impact. And those initiatives are, are being developed and worked on. And you know, for, for many people who may be skeptical of the government's ability to solve problems, I can tell you at least on the cursory level, they're actually starting to have a conversation that makes sense. And, and that's, that's the beginning of where I think this all goes, right? So once you start having the industry move in one direction, the government move in almost the same direction, which is what I observe, um, that's where you're going to see um, an inflection point of change. So it's it's right around the corner where a lot of the things that you referenced just earlier were kind of subside, which I'm already seeing. And you'll start to see um, how the insurance industry impacts this issue, not only from a commercial perspective, but from a national security perspective. It's, it's something that I'm witnessing almost on a day-to-day basis. And I think one day everybody will wake up and say, in the not too distant future, they'll say, hmm, why weren't we doing this a couple of years ago, right? And so I think some of the sophistication that's going to manifest itself through the interactions between the private sector, in particular, the insurance industry and government national security programs related to systemic cyber risk exposure are going to start to be, start to shape up and you're going to start to see the benefits of that in the not too distant future. So, so what do you think will be that like watershed moment that says, all right, we're all in, we're going to go do this across the board. Like, you know, you, you have supply chain where you had, you could point to multiple breaches, you know, solar winds being the latest around um, supply chain and people saying, well, we've got to consistently focus on the supply chain. Like what is the, what's that one moment you think is going to be the catalyst that says, all right, cyber's got to be quantified in financial terms so that we can all understand our collective systemic risk in cyber. Like what, what do you think that's going to be? What's it going to take? You know, I, I don't, I don't know if there's going to be any, you know, one um, thing that's going to occur. Of course, everybody just went through this solar winds um, situation. So that definitely brings attention to the topic, but it's not too dissimilar from all other like, your proclamations that were let it's going to take a quote unquote cyber Pearl Harbor to affect change. I I don't think that's proven itself to be uh, available on this topic. I mean, there's just been too many situations, including solar winds that, you know, people get hyped up over some bad thing that happens and we got to do more. And everybody agrees that not enough is being done, but it really comes down to just, you know, taking a look at, the status quo, which we talked about earlier, right? And to say, look, this isn't working, so how can we fix it? And you know what's interesting? So I don't think it's any one thing, Andy, that's going to get there. But if you put a couple of different things together, and I'll point to a few here, I think then you'll start to see how the evolution of this topic will then start to make sense to people on a broader uh, construct. For example, you take a look at um, things that are happening through the SC and how they're putting out interpretive guidance to public companies that, that point to use to, to the, not the requirement, but the, it's guidance. So it's not, it's not a mandate. It's like, you need to disclose the financial exposure that you have to cyber risk and you need to articulate 
if an incident happens, what that financial exposure is to your shareholders. That's a significant thing. You're starting to see lawsuits. You're starting to see regulatory action. You're starting to see some of this manifest itself in companies' earnings reports, like Equifax, related happened to them. So you're starting to see a sea change there, just on that one thing where it's like, hey, look, you can't just brush this under the rug. You can't hide it. You have to disclose it. You have to do something about it. That's pretty significant. You connect that with the advancements that are taking place with the insurance industry around entity level and systemic level cyber risk. You're starting to see how the insurance industry is doing what it always does, which is advances underwriting um, sophistication to bring resiliency and particular risk categories, cyber being the next one, so to speak, that the insurance industry, which I think will eventually solve. Uh, and then you're seeing, uh, you're seeing DHS through the U.S. government and national security programs point to um, seeking to understand the economic implications of cyber risk and how to use that to benchmark successful national security programs around systemic cyber risk reduction from a, from a government national security perspective. You're starting to see, and then you're starting to see organizations like the World Economic Forum, organizations in the DC corridor, the Internet Security Alliance, the organization that I pointed to, the National Association of Corporate Directors, all convening to come together to start talking about how there needs to be an understanding of cyber risk through an economic lens. And so it's, it's a confluence of all of those things that's going to get us to a future state where it's just going to become rather ubiquitous, where, again, we'll look back and say, you remember the days when people were going to their boards of directors and talking about, you know, hacking groups in foreign lands or um, vulnerabilities that may or may not cause problems? You know, we'll look back and say, boy, you know, things have come a long way. Look at the sophisticated financial analysis that is now driving this, the, the discussions around cyber risk. And I, and I think, you know, we'll look back and say, you know, it was obvious that this was a status quo that needed to change. And you're starting to see a wide variety of entities from the insurance industry to the commercial sector to the government uh, participate in this narrative. And I think one day everybody will wake up and say, things have now changed and there will be no organizations that will be presenting information related to cyber risk that doesn't include economic analysis, because that's what the business community is demanding. And that's what will provide a, a successful communication template to make improvement on this topic from a commercial and government perspective. Yeah, man, I love it. It's funny when I, I talk to other folks about this, they're like, man, it's just so hard. It's so hard. No, we can't figure it out. Right. But it's like, it's already been solved. We just haven't seen people yeah. aren't waking up to the fact that the problem is actually solved. <laughs> Well, well, that's what's really interesting, Andy, right? It sometimes becomes so complicated and appear to be so daunting and everybody's trying to scratch their heads to try to figure out an answer. Oftentimes in life, this isn't just about cybersecurity, but just in life, isn't it, is it not true that sometimes the most simple approach and the simple answer is the answer? Like I experience people all the time who try to overly complicate this topic all the time. It's almost like they, they're, they're consistently in a circular loop where they're banging their head against the wall and don't know how to stop. And sometimes you have to step back and say, look, it doesn't have to be this complicated. 
In fact, it's not this complicated. In fact, there's innovation taking place within the insurance industry, which makes this very straightforward and simple, believe it or not. Sometimes when I'm a part of conversations and I talk about it, people will say to me, people that have potentially invested millions of dollars to try to figure this thing out, will say things to me like, well, it can't be that simple. If it's that simple, then, you know, but that is the answer. Think about all aspects of innovation and all aspects of how how technology and innovation advances complex things into the simple. Look at the look at your iPhone. Look at look at a Tesla electric vehicle. Look at other areas of innovation where it seems so simple, but yet you knew it was relatively complex. The simple answer is oftentimes the correct answer. And when it comes to innovation and when it comes to challenging the status quo, and it and when creating a future state of simplicity, I believe cybersecurity, cyber risk understanding is, is, is going to end up into that place where we're, a lot of people will look back and be relieved and say, well, finally, we got to a place where this is understandable. We have simple ways to understand it. And we have, more importantly, simple ways to bring improvement to this complex topic. And then everybody will just take a, except those that are significantly profiting off of what I call the FUD right now, the, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt that's, that's insidious within the cybersecurity industry, right? There's a lot of people that are, that are absolutely not interested in solving this problem because, you know, as I point out, there's a day of reckoning that's going to take place within the cybersecurity industry when the business community wakes up and realizes most of the stuff that exists within that in, industry just isn't valuable to them. I equate it to the housing bubble from 2008, right? There's no inherent reasons why the housing prices were skyrocketing. I see the same parallels within the cybersecurity industry, right? There's a there you underneath it all. It's propped up and so it's a bubble. And I've been saying that the cybersecurity industry is engaged in a bubble cycle for a long time. People laugh at me sometimes when I say that, but it's what I believe. And so I think, you know, it's the simple answer that's going to take this to the next level. And once everybody accepts that simplicity can be the answer, I think you're going to see a tectonic shift in this. Yeah, man, I, I, I think you're right. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how long this takes to really hit the masses, but um, I know the answer is there and it's, it's, uh, it's coming. So, all right, folks, we've got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from President and CEO of SSIC, John Frazzini. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Synet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Synet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Synet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure innovationorg or Google Synet, S-I-N-E-T. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with President and CEO of SSIC, John Frazzini. So, John, I mean, look, we, we, you know, we can point to the insurance industry and how they've solved the problem. But one of the challenges that, you know, I've seen being in the insurance industry previously was, you know, underwriters wanting to have more, you know, kind of internal views of, um, of an organization to make sure they had better underwriting uh, data, right? So the modeling's great. And then we've got to have a way to find, feed the model to give it, you know, make it more automated, real time, et cetera. What telemetry points, technology, you know, are you seeing that exist in the cybersecurity space that has the best jan- chance of driving um, or feeding those, feeding the models to uh, help this thing get over the hump? I, I see a few different, um, as you point out, telemetry points, which is basically data being collected through various technology implementations across the industry. So, you know, a couple of them that come to mind. One that comes to mind that I've been following for a long time is is the concept of security effectiveness. Or, you know, um, there's a solution, for example, at a company um, um, at FireEye, Mandiant, called Validation, where they seek to produce information related to the sec- the effectiveness of your security implementation, you know, I think I think that's got significant advantages into the future. Being able to connect security effectiveness with the is that, is that the old, uh, is the old Veriden, the old, the old platform? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. A couple of years ago, it was acquired into into FireEye. So I've always been a big fan as we've talked about financial analytics, I'm also a big fan of, you know, just concepts like business process improvement and the ability to be able to articulate your security programs through an effectiveness analysis is quite compelling to me and always has been. So that's interesting. And I also see some other areas um, like the security ratings companies are doing some interesting things, uh, notably, you know, like security scorecard and BitSight are creating, you know, outside in telemetry information. And so some of that is, some of that information can be used um, to within the, the financial analysis to bring that financial um, aware uh, that financial construct forward. Um, you have other things that, that that exist. Data aggregation companies like Splunk that are pulling in a wide variety of different data points, telemetry information related to security operations, and being able to connect that data into the financial analytics, I think, is already taking place, and it's very intriguing. Um, I'd also point to things like, for example, what CrowdStrike has or other companies have in terms of endpoint detection and response. I think, you know, we all know that that's a, that's a significant vector for bad, 
things to produce financial impact. And I think, you know, you take a look at some of the information that could be aggregated out of endpoint technology, like, for example, what CrowdStrike has, and you start connecting all of these various telemetry points, and the ones that I just described were just a few, I think once you create the data strategy to be able to incorporate that data into the financial analytics, I think really that's where you're going to see a significant expansion in the ability for the insurance industry to then bring the resiliency that they're seeking to bring into the market. And I think that additional, if you put it this way, the inside out and outside in approach, if you combine those two things, which is what I'm seeing take place, I think I think that's where you're going to see um, a significant shift in how the insurance industry will function, both at the underwriting level, which is within individual policies, but also at the systemic level or what the industry calls catastrophic loss or cat loss um, analysis, which actually brings that resiliency into, into the world. Yeah, and there's nothing that says that enterprises can't do this, right? I mean, it's all, all these things exist today in, in, an, in an enterprise are just not tied together. There's no glue that's tied it all together for everybody and, and all that, all these components exist. Um, you know, and I think, you know, I, I've always had a, a dream where, you know, if I could have an app, you know, that lets me see my cyber exposure, almost like a stock tickler, right? I want to be able to see it, you know, <laughs> like, like the market adjusts, um, you know, because I, you have all these different, different tools automated, you've got the modeling, tying it all together, and you've got this, you know, real time dynamic visibility into your cyber risk. And then, you know, being able to make decisions off of how that, how that changes, man, that would be a, that would be a really cool thing to, to have at one point, <laughs> you know? I, I, yeah, I think I think that's I think that's an e- inevitable future. Like I am seeing things right now in the industry, and it really has to do with you know, get a shared vision around the art of the possible. And what I mean by that is, you know, a lot of times every things in the security industry are somewhat siloed based on functionality of a particular technology sector, right? But, you know, if you roll up the telemetry points like we're talking about, you know, the art of the possible suggests that you should be able to build that telemetry into an analytics framework that does exactly what you just described. So I actually think it's inevitable that that's going to happen. And and that gets to what I oftentimes talk talk about related to the day of reckoning I see coming to the cybersecurity industry, which is once you're able to accomplish what you just what you just set forth that you wish existed first of all it can exist that that's what's interesting it's 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 not really theoretical it can exist and it is existing in certain implementations right so this stuff is already happening in other words the ability to take security data or let's call it telemetry and put it into a a, a financial analytics framework in order to bring the financial context to the data being presented to a security team. I mean, that's where this is going, in my opinion. And on the theoretical, it actually can take place. It's actually happening in certain areas of the pockets of excellence within the industry. So it really comes down to when when that vision can be shared and when can everybody get around the art of the possible and just make it happen. But in in the I believe in the not too distant future, that's going to have significant impact in, in how the insurance industry will function and bring resiliency through its insurance products. But I also think it's also going to have a significant impact on enterprise 
cyber risk management or security operations because it will no longer be led by we're doing technical things to prevent technical bad things. It'll be we're managing our risk to test technical things by understanding the financial implications of those and taking action that suppresses or reduces our financial exposure. Once you shift the technical to the financial using the telemetry that's at various organizations' fingertips, you're going to have a very different future state. And I think it's I think that's a vision um, that will prove to become reality in the not too distant future. Well, John, as always, I appreciate you coming back on the show, buddy. Yeah, you got it. Anytime, Andy. Nice talking to you and have a good day. All right, brother. All right, folks, time for us to back up, bounce up on out of here. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice for cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.